We're going to be looking at John the 7th chapter in our study this morning. And before we do so, we want to have a word of prayer. I'm sure more will be said, but next Sunday we have our homecoming and we want to remember to invite our friends and our neighbors, our family members to come and be a part of this great day. And we look forward to a very special day and it is our goal to fill the building. It's our hope and prayer that we can do that. And with your help and with your prayers, I believe that we can certainly accomplish this goal. Before we begin today, we do want to have a word of prayer and continue to remember Doc Hunt in our prayers. Uh, Also, Troy Black, I want to continue to remember him and others who uh, are in need of our prayers. Brother George, would you lead us in prayer this morning? All right, thank you. Last week in our study, we spent some time and concluded our thoughts on chapter 6, where Jesus had been declaring himself to be the bread of life, and unfortunately, many of the Jews in his day uh, disregarded him as the Messiah, the Savior, and Jesus had said that his flesh was food indeed, and he said his blood was drink indeed, and he would ultimately give his flesh and his blood for the sins of the world. Peter said that he bore our sins in his body on the tree in 1 Peter 2. And in that same book, in chapter 1, he said we were, we were redeemed not with corruptible things, but with incorruptible by the blood of Christ as uh, compared to a precious lamb without spot and without blemish. Many, uh, they said this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Jesus then asked, does this offend you? And uh, the Bible says in verse 66 that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Jesus then asked the twelve, do you also want to go away? And Peter responded by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life eternal. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Peter here affirms that Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah of the world. Uh, the Son of God. I think we mentioned last week that uh, while Peter had his faults and while sometimes he spoke before he thought, I think that uh, it's very admirable on his part for him to affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. Now in chapter 7, we have the derision that Jesus encountered and there is an interlude between chapters 6 and 7 a time span of about six months. And so in verse 1, we find Jesus in Galilee. And uh, Galilee was the northernmost province of the Holy Land, whereas Judea was the southernmost province. And uh, John tells us, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. And this gives us some insight into the heart of the Jewish people. Uh, They rejected Jesus, and of course John, as we have uh, suggested on numerous occasions, John points out in chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus came to his own, but his own received him not. 
Many of the Jews rejected Jesus as the Son of God. Somewhat difficult to believe in light of the fact that they had been the recipients of the Scriptures, the Word of God. If anyone should have known about the coming of the Messiah, and if anyone should have been able to pinpoint with accuracy uh, the character, the nature of the Messiah, the Jewish people should have been those people. And yet, uh, for, I guess, a number of reasons, they did not. Now, in verse 2, it is said, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. Now, it was during this feast that uh, the people lived in booths, uh, or tents rather, to commemorate or remember Israel's wandering in the wilderness. And uh, also it was referred to as the feast of uh, ingathering, a time of thanksgiving. And then look at verse 3 if you would. In verse 3, the text says, His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea. That would be uh, south of where uh, he presently was. Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Now the half-brothers and sisters of Jesus uh, are referenced by Matthew, for example, in chapter 13, verse 55. Turn back to chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. Somebody read Matthew 13, verse 55. All right, so here uh, reference is made to the half-brothers of Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And uh, we have the place identified by John where Jesus was, that being Galilee. Uh, The people, uh, at least on this occasion, who were present, his half-brothers. And then the problem. And uh, the brothers wanted him to go into Judea. Uh, to manifest or to show his works. Verse 4, For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Apparently his brothers wanted him to manifest himself before uh, those in Jerusalem or those in the province of Judea. But look at verse 5, and here is a, a commentary on the uh, spiritual state of his brothers concerning their relationship to Jesus at this point in time. For even his brothers did not believe in him. In other words, at this point in time, they did not believe in the divine mission of Jesus. Uh, Turn back, if you would, to the book of Matthew and look at chapter 13 again. Somebody read Matthew 13, verse 57.
thank you. You know, sometimes the most difficult people to persuade are those within our own household and those with whom we are most familiar. Uh, Jesus here says that a prophet is not without honor, save in his own household and among his own countrymen, among his own people. Well, think about uh, sometimes trying to be persuasive among those you know best. Uh, you think about the brothers of Jesus. Here were uh, his fleshly kin, and yet John tells us that they did not at this point in time believe in his divine mission. And so uh, sometimes when we become maybe discouraged because we have not had an impact on our, our friends or our family members or those with whom we interact on a regular basis, uh, take heart, don't get discouraged. Uh, remember that here was Jesus among his own family members. And yet for uh, whatever reason, uh, they did not believe in him. That is, uh, they did not believe in his divine mission at this point in time. Now note if you would verses 6 through 9 because here Jesus sets forth his purpose. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. Now Jesus is going to eventually go to the feast. And uh, for whatever reason, he delays his, his going at this juncture. But he says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Jesus here seems to suggest that the world, or he does suggest, that the world hates him, despises him, because he provides divine testimony about it. Well, what about the spiritual nature of the world? Think about the condition of the world into which Jesus was born. Turn back to chapter 3 for a moment in the book of John. In John chapter 3 at verse 16, Jesus said... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Why did Jesus not come to condemn the world? Well, the reason was, was because the world was already under condemnation. The world had a problem with sin. He didn't have to come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. And so Jesus came for the purpose of saving the world. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus did not point out uh, the flaws that existed among those who lived in the world. Verse 19. And this is condemnation that the light has come into the world... And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now Jesus says, as recorded by John in chapter 7, that the world hated him because he testified that uh, the works of the world were evil. Jesus was born into uh, a world filled with wickedness. Think about the world today. Sometimes we talk about the spiritual condition of our world. Well, would you say that the world today 
Uh, would you say that the spiritual condition of our society today is better or worse than it was in the days of Christ? About the same, that's right. When you look at the condition of the world, the world uh, is in sad shape. But you have to remember, it was in sad shape in the days of Christ. Uh, you go back to the days of Noah. And uh, Moses said, in providing a divine commentary on the people during the days of Noah, he said, every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only evil continually. And so mankind, since the Garden of Eden, has had a problem with sin, a terrible problem with sin. Turn over, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. Look at 1 John 5, verse 19. Somebody read 1 John 5, verse 19. All right. So according to John, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness. Now Jesus came and bore testimony to the darkened state of the world in his day. It was dark during his day. It's dark today. The world is under the sway of the wicked one. That is, the world is being dominated by Satan. Satan is uh, unfortunately controlling the hearts and lives of many people. Now Jesus came to set people free from uh, the domination of sin and Satan. Turn back now, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3. In 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4, John said, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness, or sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, he came to deliver people from that shroud of spiritual darkness that had engulfed the human family. And so uh, those, who, those who practice sin, uh, their spiritual father is the devil. And uh, basically that's what John bears out here. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, he came to destroy uh, him who had the power of death. That being the devil according to Hebrews chapter 2. But nonetheless, according to uh, the words of John and uh, the testimony of Jesus, the world hated him because he testified 
but its works were evil. Now look at verse 8. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. I think we've commented from time to time that Jesus was on a divine timeline, and he was working in accordance with the will of his heavenly Father. Verse 9. When he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Now look at verse 10. In verse 10 and following, we have a dispute uh, that Jesus encounters, and what's really going to happen is we're going to see some reactions from the people about Jesus. Now one of the things that you and I have the opportunity to do is to read, investigate, and draw our own conclusions about the Scripture. And uh, basically that's what the people in the first century were going to do. They were going to uh, weigh the evidence or they were going to uh, make some assertions about the Christ. And so uh, in verse 10, when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Uh, in verse 11, then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Now, consider if you would some of the statements made about Christ. First of all, in verse 12, the statement is made that Jesus is a good man. Look at what it said. There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. And so here you have uh, somewhat of opposing views. On the one hand, you have people saying, well, he's a good man. On the other, well, he's a deceiver. You and I, we have to draw our own conclusions about the Christ. Now, we have said that a thesis statement in the book of John is found in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the anointed one, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, over in chapter 8, Jesus is going to say, except you believe that I am he, that is, unless you believe I'm the divine son of God, you're going, to divide, you're going to die in your sins. We have to draw our own conclusions, but one thing to bear in mind, what we think about Jesus and the conclusions that we draw will ultimately impact where we spend eternity. Go back again to John chapter 6. When many of the disciples went back and walked no more with Jesus, Jesus then asked, Do you also want to go away? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now Simon Peter, while he had some faults as we have, uh, as we have noted, and while we know in the book of John we're going to have a record of the fact that uh, he's going to deny Jesus, Simon Peter at this point in time I think is to be commended because he says you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here are people during the days of Jesus 
Some are saying, well, he's a good man. Others are saying he's a deceiver. Now, it's not enough to just conclude that Jesus is a good man. There might be people in our world today that would say, well, Jesus was a great man. He was a good man. He was a master teacher. He was a tremendous motivator. But there is a vast difference between being a good man and the Son of God. Now drop down, if you would, to verse 20. In verse 20, the charge is made that he was possessed by a demon. Now imagine these people in his day charging that he was possessed by a demon. Hard to believe. Uh, Drop down to verse 40. In verse 40, the statement is made, Truly, this is the prophet. And then in verses 41 and 42, uh, he's the Christ. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem? where David was. And so it's obvious that there were uh, conflicting uh, thoughts about the Christ. Uh, Some were saying he was a good man. Some were saying he was a deceiver. Others were suggesting he was possessed by a demon. Some were saying he was a prophet. He was the Christ. And uh, ultimately, when you boil it all down and you make application to our own lives, we have to come to our own conclusions. What about Jesus? Uh, You remember the statement that was made by Pilate. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Well, what will we do with him? Will Will we honor him? Will we reverence him? Will we uh, come to believe in him as the Son of God? All right, picking up in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? In other words, how does Jesus know all of this? He's never been through any of our uh, uh, rabbinical schools. He's never been uh, taught as, as, uh, as we've been taught. Uh, he's not been trained or schooled. Uh, in any of our uh, quote-unquote institutions. Look at what Jesus said. Verse 16. My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether I speak on my own authority. I think there are a couple of things that we might point out here. First of all, Jesus came and uh, everything that he said and did coincided with the will and doctrine of his heavenly Father. But then also, secondly, there is the invitation to investigate. Jesus said, if anyone wants to know his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's from God or whether I speak of my own authority. Is it not the case today that we invite investigation, that we invite people to investigate, to search the scriptures, 
Turn back to chapter 5 for a moment in John. In John chapter 5, at verse 39, Jesus said, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. That phrase, search the scriptures, to just lift it out of its context, that's what we invite people to do. Search the scriptures. Investigate thoroughly. Draw your own conclusions. Turn over, if you would, to Acts 17, verse 11. Look at Acts 17, verse 11. Somebody read Acts 17, verse 11, if you would. Thank you. All right, so here were the Bereans who, according to Luke, were more than willing to investigate or to search the Scriptures. Now, Jesus said if a person wants to know his will, then uh, he said if anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it's of God or whether I speak of my own. We are invited to investigate the claims, uh, to lift the hood, so to speak, and, and investigate. What does the Bible say? Furthermore, this invitation is open to all. Another thing to point out, we can know what the Bible teaches. We can know the doctrine. Jesus said if anyone, uh, if anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. There are people today that say, well, we just can't understand the Bible. We can't understand what the scriptures have to say. Well, let's just test that line of reasoning. Turn over to chapter 8 for a moment. Look at John 8, verse 32. Note what Jesus said. Somebody read John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. All right, Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Can we know the truth? According to Jesus, we can. And then also look at uh, Ephesians, the third chapter. Somebody read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. said, look, I received revelation from God. I took that revelation and I wrote it down in human words so that when you read that revelation, you can what? You can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, in this 
But uh, the mystery that Paul alludes to has now been disclosed or revealed, and that had to do with the church. The Gentiles should be of the same body, and uh, that they should be partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, according to verse 6. But the point to press is that people can read the scriptures, can understand them, and put them into practice. And then also look over in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, verse 17, we talk about can we know or can we understand the Bible? In Ephesians 5, verse 17, Paul said, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So can we understand the Bible? Can we understand the doctrine of Christ? Why, sure we can, as Brother Martin said. Absolutely. The question is, do we want to understand the Bible? Now that's not to suggest that there are not uh, certain passages that are difficult. But when we talk about uh, uh, the basic truths of the Bible, we can understand them. And uh, not only can we understand them, but uh, we can put them into daily practice. It may take, uh, as has been said in times past, some elbow grease, but it can be done. Uh, we have to be like the psalmist of old who meditated on the truth of God both day and night. All right, going back to John chapter 7. In verse 19, Jesus asked, Did not Moses, or I'm sorry, verse 18, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keep the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Uh, verse 20, the people answered and said, You have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Now, if you go back uh, and look at the divine record, of course, Jesus, you remember, had healed a man that had been paralyzed, uh, had been a paralytic, for, for some 38 years back in chapter 5. Uh, he did this on the Sabbath day. And so he's going to, uh, he's basically drawn uh, the ire of the Jewish people. And so in verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Moses therefore gave you circumcision. Not that, is, that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? All right, Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath day. That was recorded for us back in chapter 5. According to the law, uh, on the eighth day, uh, the Israelite people were to circumcise their sons. And you can go back and read that in, Levitic in Leviticus chapter 12 at verse 3. Well, what would happen if the eighth day fell on the Sabbath day? Well, they were still to circumcise that child. Well, Jesus' point is, uh, you know, you're willing to circumcise on the eighth day, and yet I'm willing to heal somebody on the Sabbath day. And uh, uh, their, their argument, I guess you could say, was inconsistent. So in verse 24, Jesus says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now look at verse 25. 
In verse 25, then some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not he whom you seek or whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows from where he is from. Where he is from. Now you recall back in Matthew chapter 13, uh, the assessment was made, is this not the carpenter's son? The Jewish people, and I think as we've, we've tried to stress, many of the Jews, uh, they just did not believe that this was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And so in verse 26, Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Uh, so Jesus came from God. Uh, Jesus has already made himself on a plane equal to God. And of course, the Jews wouldn't like this. Uh, so in verse 30, they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Now just think for a moment about Jesus. Here is Jesus among the Jews. And uh, the Jews were the chosen people of God. They were the custodians of the scriptures. And uh, the Christ... Uh, he, as uh, the prophets had announced, was coming through the seed of David. And uh, Matthew gives us the ancestry of Jesus, his kingly descent. Imagine the frustration that Jesus must have felt. Here he is trying to reason with these people, trying to uh, get over to them that he is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, and yet many of these people don't believe him. Now, sometimes we might be quick to say, well, had we been there, we might have believed. Well, who's to say we would have? These people were having to, they were having to take the information that they had before them, process that information, and then draw their conclusions. Just like we have to do today. The only difference is they had the opportunity to firsthand examine Jesus. They visibly saw him. They audibly heard him. Uh, now, should they, have, should they have come to a belief that he was a Christ? Well, of course they should. And many did. But many did not. And then you pick up in the book of Acts and you read the history of the, uh, the church and note the antagonism that uh, Paul and the other apostles faced by the Jews uh, during their day. The Jews did everything they could to destroy those who were followers of the way. Verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and not find me. And where I am, 
you cannot come. And so uh, we'll talk more about that next week. Our time is gone. It's uh, 9.46. But nonetheless, uh, Jesus here uh, is in somewhat of a debate with these people. And uh, they're going to have to make, they're going to have to draw their own conclusions just as, uh, as we must. All right. Appreciate your presence today. And the Lord willing, we will pick up in uh, chapter 7 next week. And hope to see everybody back again next Sunday morning at 9 a.m.